0: It's time now to move into God's Word together, to hear it, reflect on it, and uh, it's my delight to do that today. We'll be looking at Genesis eighteen, continuing on with the story of Abraham and Sarah. It's been quite a journey as we've been going through since September to to, to follow God's connection with this couple, how He's made covenants with them and has called them to be his people and to walk blamelessly before him. But there are still some things missing here. God has made promises, land, descendants, and we are still waiting eagerly for those things to be given. They won't be given quite yet, not in this chapter, but that day is coming. As God speaks to us, I invite you to lift up your hearts to hear from him this morning, Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham, near the great tree of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw 3 men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, "If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought." and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sias of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf "'and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. "'He then brought some curds and milk and the calf "'that had been prepared and set these before them. "'While they ate, he stood near near them under a tree. "'Where is your wife Sarah?' they asked him. "'There in the tent,' he said. "'Then the Lord said, "'I will surely return to you about this time next year, "'and Sarah, your wife, will have a son.' Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, In 1997, a movie came out called As Good As It Gets. The film starred Jack Nicholson, uh, who played a, an obsessive, compulsive New York author named Melvin Uddle. Melvin had great writing skills, but absolutely terrible people skills. He was self-centered and cold. He was mean to his neighbors. He'd throw a fit if things weren't just right at his favorite restaurant. At one point, Melvin, really, he came to recognize his need for help, so he stormed right into his psychiatrist's office, and he demanded to be seen right then and there. But much to Melvin's chagrin, his therapist had boundaries and wouldn't bend to Melvin's demands, and he tells him, you got to make an appointment just like everyone else. Get in line. But on the way out, and this is the part that struck me today, I was thinking about the sermon, on the way out, Melvin has to pass through the waiting room at the psychiatrist's office, and it's, of course, filled with people who are waiting to be seen and looking for help. There's moms and businessmen, there's Wall Street brokers and other professionals Melvin pauses on his way through the room and he turns to look at the crowd of people and then he asks in his cynical, cold way, what if this is as good as it gets? What if this is as good as it gets? What if living with depression is the best it's ever going to be for you? What if your marriage will never get any better? What if brokenness is normal and irreversible? What if this is as good as it gets? You ever think along those lines? It seems that most of us, as we age, slowly get hardened off by life under the sun. The ideals of our youth get replaced with the practicalities of making a living. Our hopes and dreams get buried under time and budget constraints. We suffer disappointments, setbacks. We grow a thicker skin. And at some point, for sanity's sake, we have to call it and strike a deal with reality and do our best to move on under less-than-ideal circumstances. Maybe this is as good as it gets. Letting go of hope, hope for better days, is hard. But trying to maintain hope is harder still, especially when all the evidence tells us that hope is no longer feasible at this point. This is where Abraham and Sarah are. Now well into their tenth decade of life, they can no longer actively hope for what God has promised. Land and a descendant are now, humanly speaking, out of reach. Maybe having a midday siesta in his quiet tent is about as good as it's going to get for Abraham. But before he can fall asleep, he hears a knock at the door. And there he sees three men outside, waiting in the heat of the sun. If Abraham no longer has hope, hope will come to him. But before he can uh, uh the narrator tells us that one of these men is the Lord, but that is not really obvious to Abraham at least not right away and We might wonder why God chooses to conceal his identity for this appearance in the past, whenever God has appeared to Abraham, he's always made himself known, but here there's there's something mysterious about these guests: who are they? Why have they come? We don't know exactly why the Lord doesn't make himself known. Perhaps there is something to be gained in the wait. Or maybe God wants to test Abraham's character by giving him an opportunity to show hospitality. Whatever the case, Abraham indeed rises to the occasion. With great speed and deference, he welcomes his guests and serves them. He gives them cool water to wash in and tasty curds to munch on as they wait for the main course of freshly cut and cooked steak and freshly baked bread. This is hospitality par excellence. Abraham goes above and beyond to serve these guests. Clearly, he has internalized his calling to walk blamelessly before the Lord and be a blessing. Without hesitation, Abraham sacrificially serves three neighbors in need without knowing he's entertaining angels and the Lord himself. And it's at the table that the Lord makes himself known. Where is your wife? The guests ask Abraham. There in the tent, says Abraham. Then one of them, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and sarah your wife will have a son if abraham had suspicions about the identity of his guests this phrase would have certainly rung some bells in his head only a few days or perhaps weeks prior to this encounter with the lord the lord had or abraham had another encounter with the lord where god basically said the same thing in about a year your son your wife sarah will have a son In fact, throughout the drama, the story, this has been God's refrain all along the way. You and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now the focus shifts to Sarah, who's been eavesdropping, and when she overhears this nonsense about a baby, she laughs. Like Abraham, who we saw snicker last week, Sarah no longer has faith left, any faith left in this promise. She knows that she is well past her best before date when it comes to being a mom. What are you saying? This old granny is going to give birth? She laughs. That's about as likely as angels coming over for dinner. And can we fault Sarah for this cynical little snicker? I mean, yes, sure, in hindsight, she could have a bit more faith, but who among us would have believed otherwise? How is it for us, for you, when God calls us to wait for something that is really foolish to wait for in hope? A few years ago, I, I, I met a man in Vancouver. I can't even remember his name, but we were roommates for about a week when I was taking a course at Regent College. Um, This man was in his late 30s, and he was still living in a college rental house. He had an all right job, but there wasn't much hope for upward mobility for him, certainly not in Vancouver. But about six years prior, at a prayer gathering, a listening prayer service, he felt strongly that he heard God's voice tell him to stay. Stay in Vancouver was the word he received from God. Don't go home to Minnesota. That's where he's from. Stay in Vancouver. God gave this man no reason, just the call. And for six years, he remained, just as he was told. When I was with him, he was going through a really tough time. However, he was on the board of this charity, and that charity was basically in meltdown mode. Also, his parents were urging him to come home, for there was a job waiting for him in the family business, and he had two months to let them know if he wanted it. And there he sat, waiting on God. And at what point do you say, this is just ridiculous? This is foolish. What am I doing here? At what point do you laugh at the absurdity of what's taking place and you turn and make peace with reality? Maybe working for the weekends is as good as it gets. We can put ourselves in these places in Sarah's shoes. How do you hold on to hope when everything else doesn't seem to be going that direction i mentioned at the beginning of the sermon the sermon series that barrenness in this story it's not just this biological reality it's metaphorical of something bigger it represents a closed future it represents a world where there is no possibility of redemption or change or newness it's a place where it's always winter and never spring and what we see at this stage in the story is that Abraham and Sarah Sarah, I keep getting that wrong, Abraham and Sarah have put on their coats and have settled in. In some ways they're still open to God. In some ways they've been hardened off by life under the sun, and they've made peace with what is. The echo of the promise may still be rattling around in their hearts and minds, and the slightest bit of faith might still remain, but they're no longer actively waiting. The dream has ended. Surely not even God himself, they think, can open this closed door. So Sarah lets out her cynical little snicker, and she thinks that has gone unheard, but little does she know that she is in the presence of the one who knows all. Why did Sarah laugh the lord asks and this is where Sarah's a little sheepish and she kind of stumbles out of hiding and she's like what that wasn't me i was just uh clearing my throat that wasn't a laugh to which god says very matter-of-factly yes you did laugh and then in this exchange the lord asks this rather poignant question is anything too hard for the lord Is anything too hard for the Lord? What do you think, Abraham? What do you think, Sarah? There's something so gentle about God's approach here. He doesn't chastise his covenant couple for their lack of faith. Rather, he asks them a question to get them to reflect on the state of their faith. What limitations have you placed upon me? Do you think that I am bound by barrenness? Do you think that I can't make life out of this death? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In a way, this question has reverberated down through the biblical story, and it comes to us today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The spies that Joshua sent into the land of Canaan thought so. The walls of Jericho were just too thick, they said. The people of Canaan were just too big. That's a closed door, the spy said. We better get used to life in the wilderness. The armies of Israel felt the same way when they saw Goliath out there on the battlefield. There's no way that any of us are going to bring that big oaf down, they said to themselves. Best to make a deal with the devil and try to make the best of things. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Can he make a valley of dry bones come alive? Can he keep his own servant safe in the lion's den? Can can the lame walk? Can the blind see? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can the virgin conceive? Can Jesus Christ be raised from the dead? Can twelve lowly disciples, fishermen, transform the world through simply the sharing of a story? Is anything too hard for God? It's a question we need to think about. It's also a question that expose or turns us uh helps us to look inside ourselves to understand where we are in our own faith. I don't know about you, but I don't have trouble reciting the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe God is Almighty God. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and will return to judge the living and the dead. But on the day to day, in my actual living, I live more like Sarah and Abraham. Than I do like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Both of these women are told to expect a miraculous birth. Sarah laughs and says, that's not possible. Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. Is anything too hard for God? Confessionally, I say no. That's my answer. If someone If you were going to come to my office, is God all-powerful? Yes, God is all-powerful. But in my day-to-day actual living, I'm quick to say, that's not possible, we can't afford it, that'll never happen. Goliath is too big, the walls of Jericho too thick, the Church of Canada is too dead to see revival, time to look for a part-time job. One way to diagnose your faith, your actual faith, not just your confession, is to get up in the balcony and perhaps look down upon your prayer life. What do you pray about? Or why do you have trouble praying? It's a little window into what you actually believe about God and what he is capable of doing. Now, while living living faith is important to God, and the scriptures testify to that, notice that Abraham and Sarah's lack of faith here is not a stumbling block for the Lord to continue on with his purposes. Nothing is too hard for him, and not even the faithless posture of his covenant family will stop him from making good on his promises. And this, Walter Brueggemann says, um, or this is what he has to say on this, the resolve of God to open a future for a new heir does not depend on the readiness of Abraham and Sarah to accept it. God keeps his own counsel and will work his own will. It will happen, if not in the context of ready faith, which is here denied, then in a the context of fearful, resistant laughter. Or as Paul says in 2 Timothy, if we are faith- faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. And this really is the story of the Bible God persisting, God keeping his word, even when his covenant partners aren't reciprocating their call. And of course, nowhere do we see this more clearly than in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of Jesus' followers believed Jesus when Jesus said that he must die and rise again. All of them fled when Jesus was arrested. They were devastated by Jesus' death because they believed in the power of the tomb. The walls are too thick. Goliath is too big. There is no way. Not even God can bust a hole through that. And yet, God continued with the plan. God raised Jesus from the dead to bring new life to people who didn't think new life of this kind was even possible. In other words, it's just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God's kingdom will come and his will will be done and he will do it whether we're ready for it or not do you believe that is anything or is, is can can god do can god do as he has said thankfully our future does not depend solely on the strength of our faith but the object of our faith the lord will keep his promises and what this means and what i want us to take away today is this good news that we don't live in a closed world that barrenness does not have the final say by god's power and grace sarah's lifeless womb was transformed into a place of life in three months time the kingdom of god will be kicking in her belly as isaac takes shape yes they had to wait and wait a very long time. And yes, the waiting is hard, but know what is not will not always be, it'll not always be that way, right? This is not as good as it gets. Nothing is impossible for God. That's the testimony of the scriptures. He can and will banish sin and sickness and all that ails us in this life of struggle. Relationships can be restored, The book of Revelation tells us that he himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And of course, this does not mean that everything good will come to be in this life at this time. All things are possible with God, but not everything is promised. The cup of suffering was not taken from Jesus, though Jesus pleaded with God for that to be taken from him. The Apostle Paul prayed in faith, trusting that God Almighty could relieve him from the thorn in his flesh, but the thorn was not taken away. Nothing is impossible for God, but not everything good is given in this life, and not everything bad is taken away. Not all is promised, at least not now. But what we have been promised, and what is sure, is that what is is not the end, and that reality as we know it will be changed in an instant as God has promised. Christ will return, as he's promised. The dead shall be raised, as is promised. And this tired old planet of death that God so loves will be filled with the fullness of God once again, as promised. What this means is that life as it is, this is not. As good as it gets, the best is yet to come. This will happen, says the scriptures, whether we will participate in it or not. But God longs and invites our participation, and he calls us all to follow after Christ, his faithful son. He is the hope of the world, and in his resurrected body are the first fruits of the age to come. Let's continue to wait and hope as we follow after him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need your strength today to continue to wait not in a cynical way, but to wait in hope. We trust and we confess, Lord, that you are God the Father Almighty, capable of anything. We pray, Lord, for faith to live that and not just confess that, as we seek to do your work and live into your mission. Help us not to make peace with the world as it is, but to move forward in hope, in expectation of the city that you are building, not by human hands, but that you are setting up on your strong foundation, which is Christ Jesus. Lord, as we pray that we do struggle and suffer in the world as it is now, and it does impact us, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our relationships. So we pray, Lord, for perseverance now. We also pray for your intervention to come and heal and make whole what is broken. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.